hey, everybody. How are you doing? It's Nevin Adams, uh, former chief content officer of the American Retirement Association, still looking for a snazzy title, open to suggestions. Um, but I am nonetheless uh, embracing my title as the co-host of the Nevin and Fred podcast. And of course, me being Nevin, that means on the phone or podcast with me also uh, is none other than Mr. Fred Reich. Hey, Fred, how are you doing? Hey, Nevin, I, I'm I'm doing good. I, I was waiting for your uh, for your usual alliterative introduction, and I've been working all month to have a comeback. And and I, my my point is that I, Fred Reich, am here with the illustrious, the incomparable, and the incorrigible <laughs> Nevin Adams. Now I'm practicing. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm I haven't caught up to you, Nevin, but I'm working on my alliterations. Well, you are indeed a prolific podcasting partner. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we're we're glad that you've been studying up. Um, and I'll have to work that into a title somehow. So anyway, awesome. Awesome. Um, well, here we are, and we're not sure exactly when we're going to be published, but presumably we might even be published before the upcoming NAPA 401k summit. So just in case we are, we hope that uh, those of you who are listening and are at, going to be at the 401k summit will come and check out our live version of this very infamous podcasting uh, session. So we're looking forward to that. Hope you are as well. But we wanted to sneak one out, if you will, before we got to summit and talk a little bit about something that has been going on a lot in our industry so far. And it's called, uh, by some measures, it's called consolidation, which is to say a lot of movement in the record keeping industry. A lot of uh, plans who have been with record keepers who have been acquired or who have chosen to exit the business uh, recently. So that means a lot of change, um, hopefully good. Maybe bad, but change is always at some level disruptive. And particularly if it's change that you didn't set in motion, well, you know, it can be kind of painful. But having uh, relocated my family on several different occasions, I can tell you that uh, it is also a good motivation to sort of assess what you got, look at the... Uh, the things that have maybe gathered in ways into dark corners and things like that to do a little house cleaning, if you will, um, to tidy things up and to make things perhaps a little better than you've gotten comfortable with them being. Um, so, Fred, before we launch into the particulars, you got anything to leave off with? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I don't think everybody looks at it this way, Nevin, but but from a fiduciary perspective. It doesn't matter if the plan sponsors are selecting a new record keeper or if they've had one, in a sense, foisted upon them because of a, of a merger or acquisition. And uh, that, is a, that is now the key service provider, at least one of the key service providers, to their plans. They have a, that falls under the duty to prudently select and monitor, uh, which covers a whole range of things, the services, the investments, the uh, the costs, uh, even the contracts, uh, even some conditions associated with some of the investments, uh, and yes, there is a fiduciary duty. It, it uh, you know, it's hard to say exactly where the deadline is for doing that because you know the merger happens. You you might want to take a little bit of a wait and wait and see attitude. Record keepers are at some level somewhat comparable. But there is a point in time when when the fiduciaries, the plan committee or other fiduciaries have to dig deeper 
than than just looking at it superficially and saying, oh yeah, this is our new record keeper. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to unpack here, Novin. And and both from a practical, you know, what do they do for the employer, what do they do for the employees, and a legal, what are the costs, what are the services, you know, what are the contract provisions and so on. Well, and it's a great point to start. Um, and that is to say, you know, it's just a good time, even with the change in providers, obviously, or presumably, there's going to be an attempt to mitigate the amount of change that you have initially. In other words, the, the sort of the working assumption seems to be that uh, we're not, there don't be big changes foisted on you, at least not yet. I'm not going to change your fee structure, may not even change your client contact information, things like that. I think it's in, in the acquirer's best interest to sort of minimize those changes as much as they can. Um, but nonetheless, from the plan sponsor standpoint, particularly as you're getting ready to move on to that new platform at some level, it's probably a good time, particularly if you haven't done it in a while, to just sort of assess, to your point, Fred, what are you getting and how much are you paying for what you're getting? Um, because the essence of whether a fee is reasonable or not is is also whether the services are reasonable or not. And that the fees you're paying are those, uh, are they uh, commensurate with the value of the services that you're getting relative to your participants and beneficiaries. So, you know, as, as baseline as it sounds, it's just a good time to sort of revisit that fee structure, uh, to take a look again at what you're getting, bullet the list of service, things like that, and also look at the fees that you're paying, particularly if it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, it's a per item thing. So how much are you paying for loan checks and transfers or things like that? Um, but just basically kind of assess what are you paying and what are you getting for what you're paying? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, hopefully the plan has been prior to the merger or acquisition, they've been vetting their expenses and their services. But if not, then, uh, and if, if there's indirect compensation being paid, for example, to the record keeper, then that is an event that ought to drive that comparison because uh, you know going forward it's not going to get any easier. I mean, as you said, Neva, when they when the merger first occurs or the acquisition first occurs, the uh, it is in the acquiring record keeper's best interest to say, look, everything's going to stay the same and and minimize the change that will happen. You know, and I don't mean that in a in a negative way, like they're trying to do something bad. I think what they're actually trying to do, obviously, is retain business. But what they're trying to do is say, hey, get to know us before you make a decision. Uh, just hang in there. Uh, but at the same time, you don't acquire a company thinking you're going to use all their systems and all their people and do it the same way they did it. You acquire a company to blend them into how you do business. And whether that's six months or 12 months away, that that will happen. I'm just not familiar with situations where that doesn't happen. You know, the, the big fish eats the little fish. Uh, and... So under Fred's dead fish theory, I guess. <laughs> well, well, it's not alliterative, but it rhymes. So. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that, that's a good point, though. And, and as I said, sometimes those changes are for the good. Um, but the other thing is, in a lot of situations, you know, it's not as simple as like flipping a switch from one record keeping platform to another. And a lot of times there are nuances and differences and tweaks, if you will, that that have been set up and applied even at an individual plan level. And it takes a little while for all that stuff to sort of bubble up to the surface. And sometimes as plan sponsor, you may even not be aware that that you actually represent 
kind of a unique and special processing situation with regard to something in your plan. Maybe because it's been been done that way for your plan for so long, you're just assuming it's part of the normal. And it's a part of this transition and a part of this process that sort of brings brings that up and airs that out and gives you a chance to think about whether that is something that that's really necessary or not, whether it's worth you know paying more for or not. And in some cases, as I said, it's it's like you weren't even aware that 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 was out there as an exception, and you'd have changed it a long time ago if your current record keeper had simply brought it to your attention. And they probably didn't bring it to your attention because they assumed you really liked it and were you know fond of it and all that kind of stuff. So, like my house moving analogy, sometimes there are things buried in the back of the closet that you've just completely forgotten about. Yeah, as a part of that too, Nevin, I think uh, if Secure Act 2.0 is any indication of where we're going in the future, it's just full of optional provisions. Uh, do you want to make student loan matches? Is that something the new record keeper can handle beginning January 1, 2024, when it becomes effective? Do you want to set up sidecar or emergency savings accounts? You know, can the record keeper handle that? I mean, we're now getting laws that have optional rather than mandatory provisions, and they have lots of complexity associated with them. Uh, so I think that is yet another example of the kinds of questions you want to be asking of your new record keeper, because it, when a change of record keepers is going to be disruptive in any event. And if you're don't think you're going to be happy with your new record keeper, why live through two disruptive events? You know, one now and one a couple of years from now. Why not just pull the trigger now and go out on an RFP? Now, I don't mean that every record keeper should be RFP'd or thousands of RFPs should go out. But I mean, there are, with, with these optional type provisions, as well as with some of the special issues that you talked about, Nevin, and are already there, brokerage accounts, Roth treatment, uh, company stock in the plan, you know, yada, yada. There are things that you want to make sure that the record keeper can do. And if they can't do, then this may very well be your event to say, how can we improve our plan and include the incumbent, the acquirer, in the people that the RFP is sent to. But, you know, go out and look now because, you know, you're already in the middle of disruption. Why not maximize it? <laughs> maximize your disruption? <laughs> Max, you bet. That's the uh, that's the disruption maximization theory that Fred proposes uh, or propounds to go with the dead fish. Okay, we're lining them yeah. up this episode. Um, well, and there's something you know. So again, we're talking about doing an inventory, if you will, of like the the plan and the services and the fees that you're paying for them. So there you go. But a part of that, and this is something that. Um, at least anecdotally, there's less of these days, but there's still plenty of it out there. And it has to do with revenue sharing, um, you know, and revenue sharing has gotten, you know, kind of a bad taste in people's mouth. But but in theory, all it is, is, you know, somebody, you know, the fund company is collecting money, if you will, for services that the record keeper is providing. And it's therefore kind of rebating that back. It's kind of treating the record keeper as a subcontractor. For the for the distribution of of accounts and the transfers and the phone service center and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, again, there's been some movement away from it. It gets cited a lot in the litigation that's out there. But the bottom line is, uh, the other thing you become aware of is that people plan sponsors aren't always aware about the revenue sharing arrangements and may not be aware 
may not be aware of the arrangements, may not be aware of what the arrangements are for and how much they're for, and more importantly, like who they're going to. So again, as part of that inventory of fees and services, revenue sharing is is a, is an aspect of that. And it may not be hitting the plan sponsor's bottom line, but it is overall a, a part of the considerations as you're going through this change in platform. Right, Fred? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh... Not so much with an acquisition, but if you're out on out on RFPs and you're looking at other providers, uh, you may want to take a look at your revenue sharing agreement with your current provider. Uh, some of them say, particularly those that say it'll be credited on the books of the record keeper rather than deposited into the plan. Some of them say when you leave, any remaining balance goes to the record keeper and not to the plan. I mean, so that's something to look at and to make sure you understand and in our scenario, it's a little bit less of an issue that is an acquisition scenario, but still you want to understand how it was before versus how it's going to be with the new people uh, because it may or may not be acceptable to you. Uh, some plan sponsors want it all deposited in the plan or, or at least any remaining amounts after payment of fees and allocated out to the participants either on a pro capita or pro rata basis. Can they do that? Uh, if it's pro rata or per capita, what happens if somebody's in the in the brokerage account in the plan? Do they get credited with part of that or does it just go to the people that are in the mutual funds? How how does that record keeping system work? Those are those are the kinds of issues where, like you were saying a minute ago, David, you may be used to doing it a certain way and think that's the only way to do it. And then you find the new record keeper wants to do it a different way that is either better or that isn't satisfactory. So it's just there's so many moving pieces. Well, and, and I would also suggest, and this might not be the thing that you want to do in the middle of a transition. It might be something you do sort of after the transition. But it's always a good idea to talk to that new record keeper and and ask for their input and suggestions because, you know, if they're still they're still in this business and they're still working with lots and lots and lots of plans, they've probably seen lots of different ways to do the things that that your plan is trying to accomplish. And they might very well have some good positive suggestions for you. Um, so again, just take advantage of the opportunity as I said, you know, when you're in the middle of the transition, that may, you know, that's like changing the horses, you know, in the middle of the stream while it's going, you know, Fred, uh, while you're dodging dead fish. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you're, I think you're drowning in this one, Nevin, in the middle of the stream. <laughs> But you definitely want to take take a look out for it. Anyway, have, keep an eye on the future. Um, yeah. Well, the I, other I just a quick thing on that, Nevin. I I do agree. I mean, as much as we're talking about, be careful of this. Look out for that. Uh, the truth is, generally, the acquiring companies are large. They've been very successful. They should have all the bells and whistles. Uh, they they know how to price plans. Uh, so we're talking more about what needs to be done for long-term satisfaction and to fulfill fiduciary responsibility. Uh, but but I don't think people should interpret what we're saying as every acquiring company is a mess and you know you really gotta be careful and you gotta get out of there because that's the furthest thing from what we're saying. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, Fred, you and I were talking earlier and I thought it was a very interesting point and that was about the service agreements that you might have in place. Yeah, I you know, I really worry that too many people, particularly smaller, mid-sized plans, view those service agreements, the record-keeping agreements, as pre-printed forms, and they're not. I mean, I've helped 
write a lot of service agreements for plans. And as a lawyer, you write them from the perspective of your client. If it's an investment advisory agreement, I'm writing it from the investment advisor's perspective. If it's a record keeping agreement, I'm writing it from the record keeper's perspective, uh, which is a long way of saying I put provisions in there that I probably wouldn't agree to <laughs> if I were on the other side, or that at least I would try to modify. Because what you do as a lawyer when you draft these agreements, you try to protect your client. And you know, generally speaking, you try to protect them in, in, in ways that, that aren't um, just ridiculous. I mean, you don't, not, you don't put things in there that the other guy's always wrong, you're always right, that sort of thing. But, but you do try to put in a higher standard of care before a claim because from the provider's perspective, they're worried about frivolous claims. And as a lawyer, you want to help them bar frivolous claims. But as you try to bar frivolous claims, you just raise the standard of conduct requirement higher and higher. Like uh, instead of saying uh, uh, breach of contract or ordinary negligence, you say, you know, a, a higher level of gross negligence before they can be sued. So you, you, you write these from your client's perspective. Uh, meanwhile, very big plans have their lawyers review them and they go through and try to get those. They try to reduce it to a lower standard. Um, and so... Yeah, I think you have to be aware that these contracts are written to protect the person putting the contract forward. In the in our case, the record keeper. So, like, look at the liability provisions. Look at the cybersecurity provisions. See if they have a cybersecurity warranty. If so, what ha- what are the conditions of that warranty? Uh, look at it from your client's perspective because it was drafted from the provider's perspective. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. And, you know, make sure that, that they have to provide the services they say they're going to provide. Uh, just have somebody go through it. Have a lawyer go through it uh, if, if they're big enough that they're willing to pay the legal fees. Because otherwise they could end up with a problem down the road and not realize that, they're, that they, the plan sponsor, the plan fiduciaries, are responsible. That they, don't, they can't say to the record keeper, pay up, you know, because you were part of the mistake. No, that's a good point. You know, this is feeling more and more like actually moving houses. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny story about that. The first time I bought a house, being a lawyer, I sat down and started reading the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that about halfway through it, this is a preprinted form. They're not going to change it. <laughs> so, 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 so everything you just said about agreements, just throw it out the window. because <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, th- think about it, then throw it out. Um, <laughs> But, but no, you can actually negotiate some changes from time to time. Uh, and in fact, depending on how the agreement of the provider is written, their legal department may actually be used to making certain changes to the agreement because they've taken a pretty strong position to protect themselves from liability. And they understand when you come back and say, hey, let's take more of a moderate position on that. The lawyers do. The in-house lawyers at the record keeper. So uh, not, not, there's not a whole lot of that, but there can be some of that. Well, then the other thing, as long as we're talking about moving houses, is you want to have the opportunity to have, you know, an inspector. And I always I tend to think of the advisor that you're working with or maybe the advisor you consider working with, because the advisors have had an opportunity probably to work with both providers, both the one you've been with and the one that you're going to, um, as well as other alternatives that might be out there that you'd want to consider. And so. You know, if you're like most plan sponsors, you might have been with a certain provider and been with them for a pretty long period of time. You've gotten kind of used to that. You're, you know, you're kind of set in, you're kind of settled, your plan's working and operating and all that. Um, you probably 
perfectly happy with the way things are. And now, you know, here comes this change. Well, talking to the advisor who actually knows you and knows your plan and understands your participants and knows the marketplace and knows what's out there is probably a really good point of reference to just sort of say, hey, is this is this move going to work for us? Is this are there questions that I need to ask? Um, or if it's not going to be a good fit, maybe to suggest some alternatives that, as Fred said earlier, as long as you're going to make the move anyway, maybe you ought to make a move in a different direction. But um, but check with somebody that you trust and that knows you to help you decide whether it's going to be a good good move for you or, again, just what you might need to ask. Right. Yeah, I, I think as a part of that, Nevin, the, the you know, as much as I like to talk about the legal provisions and the contracts and all that, I, I actually think. And you do like how, to do that. Yeah, I do. I do. We, I, I, it's only because of my good nature. I've left cybersecurity out of the era of cryptocurrency Crypto. out of the conversation. Uh, he, uh, Snuck it in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, equally as important, more important is the idea that uh, do the, is this a provider that deals fairly with its clients? Do they have good, well-trained representatives that you can talk to? If a problem comes up, are they really good about solving them? That won't be anywhere in any of the contracts. But the reality is that could go as far or further in making it a good relationship than anything that, that, that I as a lawyer could look at or, or, or uh, work on. Good point. You're looking for a good fit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, then last, but certainly not least, when you've gone through all this, you might want to take the time to actually document your decision-making process. Wouldn't you think, Fred? Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I, As a young lawyer, I had a lot of doctors as clients, and I talked to some of them who were like internationally famous. And I said to them, do I, for your, this surgery, should I work with you or should I work with just any doctor who does this surgery? He says, you should work with me. He said, any doctor can do the basic surgery, but when something goes wrong, you want an expert. And every so often something goes wrong. And same thing here. Uh, it, you don't need any documentation as long as everything goes right, because nobody's ever going to second guess you. But when something goes wrong, you want to show that you engaged in a prudent process because the first question is, well, what did you look at? How did you examine it? Who advised you on this? What was your process for making this decision? Uh, and, and on those cases where something goes wrong, you want to show that you engaged in a prudent process. You looked at the important things. You made decisions about them. And then, of course, there's truth, the truth being that you did that. And then there's proof. That is the written documentation that you asked about. So you want the truth that you had a good process and you want the proof in the written documentation. And once again, we have rhymes, but not alliteration. So <laughs> <laughs> I can only go so far on one podcast. Well, that's all right. We're working out something else. All right. Well, guys, um, man, this is uh, it's been fast and furious. Um, we've actually gotten some alliteration out of Fred and we've gotten some rhymes as well. We'll put in the music maybe for the next time. Um, I hope you all have a great day. I look forward to seeing many, most, all of you at our live session in San Diego at the Napa 401k Summit. Everybody have a great day. You take care, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Take care. See you at Napa, I hope. <laughs> <laughs>